Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. Say amen. And remember, hand there as you, as you sit down, Guys, if you're taking notes, uh, go ahead and, and write this down in your notes. Write this down. Write down, he first loved. He first loved. I know it, it almost sounds like there should be something else that comes after that. And, and there will be. He first loved. Look at that person next to you and, 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 and maybe just remind them of that. Maybe you don't even know what that means fully when you say it. <clears throat> maybe they don't understand it fully when they hear it. But look at that person and say, he first loved. He first loved. He first loved. Now, look at him again and say, he first loved you. Amen. Amen. I want to I share a little bit about this, but I want to give you a little bit of a summary, a little bit of a back, uh, background of what's happening and, and what, what really what led um, what I feel this word to come about. And um, the best way I could explain this to you, we've been saying this a lot, is, is what God has been doing here um, on Wednesdays has been very special, what God's been doing. If you've missed um, Wednesdays, then you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But if you've been here on a Wednesday, you could probably come up here and maybe say better than I can that God is really doing something special in our gathering here on Wednesday. How many of you that come Wednesdays could, could admit that? Right? Give me a second. I'm deleting stuff by accident here. What a mess. And um, I want to share this with you. On Wednesday, on Wednesday we spent time uh, talking about the Holy Spirit and how he's moving in each of our lives. It was, it was very it was special. Um, we, we did something a little bit different. And some of the responses of, of the brothers and sisters that were here, they were so encouraging. Some were challenging and directing us to go for it. Some were challenging us to go for it, to live in a greater love. And um, it was really special to hear some people um, share some of the things that they were sharing and what they were sharing was, it was an admittance of, of we were living a certain way, um, but now, in the presence of God, um, people are wondering what's happening with us and what's different in us. And it's nothing else but that we're learning what it looks like to live in the presence of God. It, it really was challenging and also encouraging. And we spoke a little bit about John chapter 7, and, and we kind of... I don't remember if we opened up or closed up with this, but we, we spoke about John 7, verses 37 through 39. Jesus is speaking before a massive crowd in Jerusalem. And he's speaking in a time where Jerusalem was, was slammed. It was full of people because it was one of their major feasts. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. And in John chapter 7, Jesus says these words, and, and, and I want you to, if you're taking notes, it's John 7, uh, 37 through 39. But he says this in the middle of, of this passage, he says, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Amen. Praise God. And that's what we were, we were doing on Wednesday. And what a great conversation. What a great conversation to have, right? Think about what this conversation looks like. Because here's Jesus and he's talking about the Holy Spirit that's going to now dwell 
in the believer. So this conversation sounds something like this. How is the Holy Spirit moving within you? What a great conversation to have. If I were to point at you, if I were to point at you and just say, stand up, come up here. How is the Holy Spirit moving within you? Share that to your brothers and sisters. What an amazing conversation to have. What, what an awesome conversation to have. How is the Holy Spirit moving within you? How about when I say that many of you are like, I have no idea. I don't even know if he's even moving within me. Today's a great Sunday for you to be here. Great Sunday. I really mean that. But how is the Holy Spirit moving within you? Uh, great conversation I have. How about this one? How is the Holy Spirit leading you? How is he leading you? Are you, are you, are you really, are you truly being led by the Holy Spirit? Or are you being led by your own knowledge, by your own understanding, by your own strengths? How many of, again, rhetorical, so these are just questions, but how many of you were to ask this, you're being led by yourself, and what you find yourself in today is you find yourself in a life that is fully exhausted. You're just drained, you're exhausted, you don't even have a breath in you. I mean, just to get over here, you were, you were like, God just dragged you here, because it's, it's overwhelming for you to be amongst other believers, so these are great conversations to have. How is the Holy Spirit leading you? And maybe he's not, so you find yourself in a place today where I am so overwhelmed. I am so stressed out all the time. I am so not getting anything. I'm so drained. You guys get it. And maybe the great indicator there is, or the factor there, better said, the great factor there is awesome. There are... Your tank is dried. There are no waters roaring inside of you. Jesus says what? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. For your heart to flow out rivers of living water, that means that within you there are waters that are rushing inside of you, ready to burst out. That is the work of the Holy Spirit Jesus is speaking about there in John 7. Maybe we're so drained, exhausted, overwhelmed, so on and so forth. Because, Pastor, I could admit to you, there are no more waters rushing in my life. So when I get ready for the morning, instead of getting ready going forward in the waters of God, I am a... Seriously, because I, I really want, to, I want today to be a day that you are liberated from this. How many of you start off your day already... Super drained and stressed out and frustrated. That was never meant to be. You shouldn't even start off. You literally just slept and rested. So, is your waking up of man? This is not, I don't even know why I'm going this way. Maybe I'm changing the whole message. But is your is your waking up stressed out and overwhelmed? Is it because you didn't really sleep at night, or is it because you're really not allowing the waters of God to touch your heart. Because I could be restless because I haven't rested physically, but it's totally different from being restless from not resting spiritually. I could be exhausted, we could be exhausted physically, but yet be energized spiritually. I've slept two hours, but my God, I feel like a horse today. <laughs> the heck's wrong with you? Are you guys getting this? There's total, it's two different animals. 
So I'm wondering for the one who's drained, exhausted, and all that, it has nothing to do with your physical rest, but has everything to do because you stopped coming to the fountains to drink. Anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So for the flowing of rivers of living water to be happening, to occur, it has to be, well, anyone who comes and is thirsty, let him, anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me. That's really not the word, so, so, but really, what does that look like? How, is the Holy Spirit really leading you? How many of you have been in, in, the, in, um, in God, however you want to say it, right? How many of you have been, we say these church things, right? How many of you have been saved for one year, for five years, for seven years, for ten years, for twenty years? How many of you have been with the Lord, walking with the Lord for so long, but yet, right now, you're so dry, you've lost You've lost the waters, you've lost the tears, you've lost the wonder, you've lost what it means to pray and cry and read and be in love again. How many of you have lost the rivers of living water of the Holy Spirit inside of you? What's leading you? What's directing you? What, what's within you? These questions, such an awesome conversation to have. Here's another one, ready? What's convicting you? You, you are now, let's go back to this. How many of you now find yourself in certain sins that when you were walking with a deeper love for God, you would have never seen yourself in? Okay, you can't blame that on, well, that's just the world is, and that's just, that's a lie, okay? What sins or what habits are you doing now that were totally different when your heart was burning for God then? What has ended was, he who is thirsty, let him come and drink from me, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Maybe it's not that God has left. Maybe it's that we've stopped coming. Are you with me? Okay. <clears throat> what a great conversation I have, right? Come on, can I pick on one of you? What is the Holy Spirit doing in your life? Who can I choose? I won't do that to you. I would hate for my pastor to do that to me and, and I'm not right with God or something like that. What is he doing to you? Nothing. But maybe it will be a great thing. What is he doing to you? Nothing. Sometimes you're going to hear, listen, you're going to hear this in a little bit. Sometimes you, we, sometimes we feel like exposed. I mean, have you seen the world we live in? When something is exposed now, these young people, they scream, world star. Whatever. For the older folks, you're all like, what the heck is that? Whatever. And they videotape it and, oh, it got exposed. Sometimes it's, it's most of the times, no, all the times, it's good for God to expose. Because something can't get healed unless it's first exposed. Something can't be touched unless it's first exposed. How is the Holy Spirit convicting you, leading you? How is he directing you? Come on, answer that question on that paper that you're taking notes on. And really, really, guys, if we're going to have church today, if we're going to get into the world, we might as well do it right. We might as well just challenge each other. We might as well have this kind of conversation. Because trust me, I could do really good with making you feel good and walking out of here feeling like you could conquer the world. But then by Tuesday, you're dead, you're dried, and you haven't conquered nothing. And, and I don't want, I'm, I'm saying like really look at yourself in the mirror of God's word. What a great conversation to have. Can I get an Amen. amen. This, this is rough for me at times, but it's also, it's also good. Here it is. So it's like stirred water. It's like stirred water. So, so my question in, in the midst of all this is, is the Holy Spirit stirring in you? Is he stirring in you in order to burst out with, from within you? 
You see, because I believe this. If the Holy Spirit is stirring in us, I don't believe he just, he just wants to stay there. He wants to, con- he wants to contaminate as many people as you could come into contact with. I believe he's like that flu that, that is an epidemic today in our nation. I believe he wants to touch every life that you make contact with, with your lifestyle. But it's so hard to, like seriously, when has, your, when has our lives lived out before another? When has it convicted them to confess their sin to you? And say, I don't know what it is, but when I hang out with you, man, you make me feel some certain way. But I got to tell you something, I'm cheating on my wife. I don't know what it is, man, when I'm hanging out with you, but you make me feel a certain way. But I got to tell it to you, man, I am struggling with porn. I don't know what it is, man, but when I hang out with you, man, I feel some certain way, man. But I am filled with hatred in my heart. I don't know what it is. When has your life lived out before someone else has it? Is the Holy Spirit so contagious in you where it's drawing someone else to come to you and saying, I know there's something stirring in you, and I don't know what it is, but I want some of those waters that you have. Lead me to that same fountain you drink from. Anyone who is thirsty, let him come, and come, and out of him will flow rivers of living water. How many of you understand that stuff? I believe this, man. I believe. So, so before I say I believe this, it's like stirred water. Is the Holy Spirit stirring you to burst out from within you to flow from your innermost being? How many of you guys know you have an innermost being? Right? You sense that, right? When someone passes away in your family that you love, your heart just doesn't hurt, your brain doesn't hurt, but there's something in the innermost part of your core that is shattered. We've all, maybe you felt that innermost being get touched. When God's Holy Spirit begins to move in our lives and he just breaks us down and we're maybe in tears or we're just crying out. We're saying words that we don't even know they even exist. What kind of language is this? There is something that is burning deep within our innermost being. Have you ever felt that innermost being come to life inside of you? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe it was through death and maybe it was through life of the Holy Spirit. But you've tu- that some- has something ever touched the innermost being inside of you? I feel like I'm talking another language. So, so he wants to flow from that area. So, and I believe this. I believe that there's a stirring, and I believe there's a greater move that deep in our hearts, I believe this, that for some of us, there are waters that are being made alive. How many of you could say that, man, I was coming here, and I feel like there was no waters, but lately, there are waters that are being made alive again inside. I don't know what it is, but I'm sleeping at night, and I'm hearing the sound of water again deep in my soul. I don't know what it is, but I'm, but I'm praying differently. I'm worshiping differently. I'm living differently. Everything. There's a water that's inside of me, and I can't contain it at times. I'm thinking that there's a handful at least of you. Maybe we're not all there yet and there's a lot of people missing today. But I believe that there's a handful of you that say, I know what you're talking about. I'm sensing waters rushing inside of my belly. Deep in my inner core, there's something inside of me. I'm wondering if... I believe there's some of us. I believe that a lot of that some of us is the Wednesday group that comes actually. Don't feel bad like I can't believe he's talking about them and not me. Deal with it. I believe... I believe that God is really doing something special. I'm not saying he's not doing something special in you. I never said that. But I do believe that he's doing something different with that Wednesday group. Because I think they're coming with a different heart. I think they're, they're hungry in a different way. I think, I think we understand that there's this greater move. And I, and I know that there's some of us in here that maybe we can't make it on, on, on Wednesday. But you know what I'm talking about. There's waters in me that are being made alive again. And I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it, that there are some of us that are, so important, that are surrendering our lives. Please listen, take notes. I hope you're taking a lot of notes. This is just the introduction. 
that there are some of us that are surrendering our lives, surrendering our, surrendering our lives in exchange for hearts that only burn for Jesus. I believe that. If your heart is not burning for Jesus, then that could be the, re- the reason behind that could be because there is a what? There is a lack of surrendering your life. You've, you've stopped surrendering your life so Christ is not burning in there no more. Are you with me? So in the middle of this conversation on Wednesday, this is still all stuff that happened on Wednesday. As we were ending, the Lord dropped this on my heart. And I shared it at the end to Wednesday's group. And I said something. I said, maybe that will be Sunday's message. But I said this. I said, and you should write this down because I'm going to say this a lot today. And it might come up. I'm not sure. It says, your greater love for God, your greater love for God is found in understanding or experiencing his initial and deeper love for you. Your greater love for God is found in understanding or maybe even, maybe you'll never understand it. Maybe you just have to get to a place where you experience his initial. What do I mean by that? That he first deeply loved you. I want you to understand this. Ready? Before you can say you ever loved God, he first not just said it, but displayed it that he first loved you. There's a difference by me telling someone I love them and by me showing that person I love them. I could tell all of you I love you. That's easy to do. But when you have to show it, that's when you really know if you love someone. So Jesus, so, so God was like, I'm not only going to tell humanity that I love them. I'm going to give them the greatest expression of my love. And he's sitting right next to me at the throne. Son, you're my greatest expression of love. Are you ready? Send me, Father. How do I know he loves me? Because those whom he loved while you were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for your sins. <laughs> That's so good. His expression of love over you. The greatest expression of God's love over you was through his son. How many of you can say amen? amen? Let's say it one more time. Ready? Your greater love for God. How? Oh, I said it say it together? I'm so sorry. Real quick. I didn't really want you to do that. But watch this. Your greater love for God. How many of you deep down inside really desire for a greater love for God? Amen. Praise God. It's good. I'm in the right church today. They put it up. Everyone say, Jose, he's doing a good job. Drive him crazy back there. All right. So how many of us want it? A lot of us said yes, amen, and raise your hands. Your greater love for God is found in this experiencing, in this, I'm going to change that word again. It's in maybe now it's in an encounter, in an encounter with his initial and his deeper love for you. So, so what I mean by that is that maybe some of people even on Wednesday's group and maybe even today are asking this kind of stuff. Well, how can waters live in me again? How can my heart for burn for Jesus the way you're saying it? Um, maybe some of you feel like, what do I need to do to get to that place of greater love that many of you just said you want? What do I need to do? Notice what I keep saying. What do I, I, I need to do, do, do? Where do I get, how I, I, and we constantly put ourselves in a place where we need to do something to receive this amazing love from God. 
So when people begin to display the love of God or begin to preach the love of God, we get convicted, overwhelmed, and even to the place of condemnation because we start to say, well, I don't understand how to get there. I don't get it. I don't under- how, what do I have to do? Do I have to go to church more? Do I need to give more money? Do I need to just go to every single meeting? Do I, what is it that I need to do to have a greater love? What do I need to learn? Do I need to have a certain kind of knowledge? I've known some people that met Jesus just a day, just Within, within 10 hours, and they're burning deeper than people that have been with the Lord for 20 years. You see, you don't need knowledge of 20 years because some of them, some of them are not burning and on fire like the ones that have just met him over 10 hours ago. Because there was a thief on the cross that within a second his heart was burning and there were some that were still walking around Jerusalem streets that still had lukewarm hearts. I'm trying to tell you that stop giving your years and your experience and your knowledge a justification of why you're not burning for his love over your life. Mm. So what do I need to do? What do I got to get to? Where do I need to learn? So it was put in my heart that here it is. Your greater love for God is not found in anything else but in you encountering his initial and deeper love for you. What do you mean? Well, I still don't get it. Let his love overwhelm you and trust me. Out of nowhere, you're going to start living out that greater love that you desire. If God's great love is is being poured over me, trust me, there is nothing else that I can do but in return to give back a great love for my God. So the greatest thing that you can do is do nothing at all but just find his great love for you. And when you find the encounter of his great love, set your bed there and make it home and say, home is his presence in me. I'm not moving from his love. Baby. Pass me the pillows. I'm staying over here. And I'm never going to get up again. Find his love and never get up from that love ever again. How many of you used to lay in that love that used to shower you, but you've gotten up, you've walked out of the room, you've locked the door, you've left the house, you've driven off, and my God, you've lost the encounter of his outpouring, unfailing love over you that now in return has you loving him back. Come on. Most of your problems is not the church you used to go to or the church you're currently going to or the stuff that happened in your past. Most of our problems is we're not entering into the place where his unfailing love is saturating us so that way in return, our lives can now live deeply in love for him. You can't blame him, her, them, it, the organization. The only person that we could stand before in the mirror is say, the one that it's at fault here for my lack of growth and my lack of desire to continue to search for that great love is none other than the man that's looking back at me in the mirror. It is me. I'm at fault because I've gotten away from the showers of his love. Your greater love is found in just encounter his love for you. Don't do anything. Maybe God's actually calling you to do less. Maybe you're not supposed to fast for 40 days. Someone like, I need to seek God's love more, so I'm going to fast for 40 days. Have you even sought God if that's what he wanted you to do? Maybe it's, maybe it's not all the things that you think it is. Listen. Hear it, live it, find it, and set yourself there. Set yourself there. You can love God. I'm telling you that today, church. It can be better. It can grow deeper. But let it be by experiencing that, which is his initial 
love for you. How many of you can say amen? amen? Let his love over me begin to burn within my heart, causing a love for him to burst out from my heart. He first loved. Look at that person one more time and say, he first loved. Does that phrase mean anything different to you today? He first loved. Lord, burn within my core with your love, causing my love for you to burst out from the core of my heart because he first loved. Come on, amen? All right, let's teach a little bit about this for a moment, and then I'm going to get into five encounters in the New Testament. I really want to get into them today. I'm going to be so upset if I don't, so let's go into this. In 1 John 4, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to teach real quick on 1 John 4, and then I'm going to jump to uh, Romans 5, and then we'll, we'll touch up on the um, five encounters in the New Testament. Here it is. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 4. Put your eyes on verse 7. Once you're there, you feel free to give an amen. And uh, we will begin 1 John chapter 4. And then we'll jump to Paul's writing in, in Romans. Are we there? All right. In 1 John chapter 4, in 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to start off in verse 7. Listen to this. L listen, to, listen to these amazing words. It says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Love this. For love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Okay, love comes from God and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. So those who lack love and have hatred, there is no way that we can have hatred in our hearts and yet still say that we are children of God. It's, it's almost a statement of an oxymoron. It's a statement that does not relate itself to one another. It's how can I have hatred deep in my heart but yet still call myself a child of God? Because actually the Bible says that when we have unforgiveness in our heart and we stand before him, how can we expect for him to forgive us on that great day of judgment when we can't even forgive each other on this day on earth? So what I'm trying to tell you is if there's unforgiveness and there's hatred here on earth, how can we say, how can we say that we are children of God? Is that not what John is telling us in this passage? Friends, continue to love one another. Why is love so important to the early church, according to John's audience as he's writing here? Because anyone who says they are a child of God, what? They know God, verse 8. But anyone who does not love, who does, who, who does not love, does not actually know God. Why? Why? Why is that? Because God is love. God is love. I know that we live in a time where there's many movements going on. And every single one of these movements is actually trying to define to you what true love is. But I'm going to tell you something. Most of these movements, and my God, I've seen so many Christians um, follow these movements and even fight for some of these movements. They are ridiculous because they're not the God's definition of what love is. Love starts with God. God is love. God defines love. God deepens love. God reveals love. God pours love. Okay, be very careful with every single other movement that's out there that's trying to give you a definition of what love is. Trust me, John and Paul and all throughout scripture, they give you an amazing, amazing teaching of what true love is. And you can't find it anywhere outside of God because God is love. If you say you know God, then you're a child of God. And if you say you know God and you're a child of God, then you have love. But if you have no love, then you really don't know God and you're really not a child of God. Come on, are we children of God? Yes or no? Yes? So that means that there is love there is love because why God's in you and God is love love 
He first loved. So in the New King James, it says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. There is no one who can love who is not born of God. They might say they love, tick them the wrong way, and you'll see some of these movements, they'll start throwing stones at you. What happened to your love? Disagree with one of these love movements. Disagree with them. I I challenge you to disagree. Don't do it. Be wise. But if you were to disagree with one of these movements, their so-called love for everyone, as soon as you disagree, they'll start throwing stones at you and call you a bigot and call you all kinds of things. That's not love. They manipulated the word love so that you could join their team. Everything of love is found in God. God is love. And if you have love, then you are a child of God because love is of God. I don't know why I got so mad right now, but didn't mean to. Sorry, I'm going to go back and get happy again. God is love, man. Forgive me. Righteous anger. Okay, we'll say that. So mad today. I'm not. I'm actually in in a happy spirit. I'm not even mad today, I promise you. I just get mad at these movements sometimes. We just got to love everybody. Okay, I'm just going to disagree with you. Well, you're nothing but... What is happening? I thought you loved me. Liars. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Verse 9. God showed us how much he loved us by... New King James says, and everyone says, in this. That's so cool. In this, love of God was manifested toward, toward, toward us. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. How? How? By sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. <laughs> wow, that would have been a good spot to say amen. God showed us how much he loved us. In this, we know his love for us manifested. That he sent his only son, he sent his specific son, he sent his peculiar son into this world so that we may have eternal life through him. Verse 10, in this, everyone say in this love. In this is love. And he says, this is real love. I don't know what they're saying over there, but this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. My goodness gracious, this is good teaching. Because here is John, and he's saying, get over yourselves. It's not even you. It's not even about you loving God. The bigger picture is that that God actually loves you, you sinner. (laughs) That's awesome. Me and my wickedness, me and my deceit, me and my pollution. God says, I still choose to love you first. He loves first. And when I live and I encounter such a great love, everything in me has to what? Love him back. Why do we love back the one who loved us first? Because we know, man, deep down inside, we were undeserving of such a great love. How many of you really know you were undeserving of such a great love? Isn't your response, shoot, I might as well live back in love. He loved first. He sent his son as a sacrifice. As children of God, as children of God, We reach any kind of love, any kind of love, because the love of the Father first loved us and reached us. Any height of love is because he first, any height of love in which we reach an encounter is because he first loved us in the depth of our sin. He went in so that we could go up. He came down so that we could go up. Hallelujah for my God, 
who is the one true living God, who loves, who is not bound to a statue and to fruits and vegetables and flowers, but a God who sits in his throne and loves me and sets the universe in place and the stars in order and sets the waters where to stop and where to go. And still he looks at this frail man and says, I love him. First John chapter 4, let's continue. Verse 12, let's see God now through love. Here it is. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. My. How many of you, how many of you force people to try to see God in ways that scripture says the greatest way they could see God is through that love expression through you. His expression of love through you. So many of you, you know, the, the people that debate over like things like, I don't know, whatever. Let me not even get into that. It's so dumb to get into that. But let, let, let it be just an expression of love and let that be what, what people see and fall in love with. Amen? Let's keep going. Verse 13. And God has given us his spirit as proof. That we live in him and he in us. Come on, God has given us the living waters. His Holy Spirit, his spirit in us has proof that, that we live in him, he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now we testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of this world. Verse 15, all who declare that Jesus is the son of God have what? God living in them and they also what? This is not just about God living in you, you also live in God. What does that mean? What does that stuff talk about? God living in you, you living in God. Come on, what does that mean? Oneness. That means one. I am one. I'm, I'm one. You know that kind of talking got Jesus on the cross, right? Me and the Father are one. The heck, what are you saying? You're trying to say that you and the Father are at the same place? I'm not trying to say at all that you are, are, are literally gods here and that you're at the same level of gods. No. I'm just saying you that through the work of his love manifested through his son, you can now be one with the Father again. I guess the best word to use some sort of doctrinal word here is you've been reconciled. Verse 15, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. 16, we know how much God loves us. How, do you? Do you? And we put our trust in his love. God is love. My goodness, John, you've already said that right. But you know what? I'm going to emphasize it a little bit more. Because I feel like when I say something one time, people don't catch it the first time. I, I thank you, John, because I feel the same way. <laughs> how many of you feel the same? If you're a parent, you're probably like, I know exactly what John's talking about. So John's like, I'm talking sometimes to like little children over here, so I have to repeat myself not once, not twice. Here it goes again. Ready? God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Remember that? I just said that to you five minutes ago, he said. So again, John is repeating this, right? God loves us first. His full expression of this was through his son. We've already gone over this. And living in God is living in love, and both those things mean that God is now living in us. So powerful. So what, let's keep reading. First John 4, I got to get out of this. So what is the consummation of love? What do I mean by that? What is the finalized word of love? What is, what is the point of which it is completed and finalized? What is that? The consummation of love. Verse 17, 18, and 19. Listen, listen. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Our love, can I give you another word? Our love grows more maturely. 
You mature in love because you live in God. And what does that mean? Living in God means that what? His love is living in you. So if there's a love that has been initially and deeply placed in you first, first, then that means that there is a maturity and a growth for your love for him. Second, you now live maturely in a love because of a love that was given to you sacrificially. My God. I now live in such a pattern because of the sacrifice he gave to me. He loved me first. He first loved so that now I have the ability to even love. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. How many of you are afraid on the day of judgment? You shouldn't be. If you are, fall in love and let him, his love fall. Like there's no way. I'm so terrified of judgment day. I'm not saying dying and stuff. I mean, it's okay. We're human, man. We struggle with that. The day we die and how we're going to die and how's it going to be painful. It's going to be in my sleeve. I wish it could be in my sleeve and not painful. Some of you are like, no, I want it to be painful. You're weird. But, <laughs> but for, for, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the day of judgment when you stand before God. Are, are you fearing for that day because you're scared what he's going to say? Or are you excited for that day because you can't wait for him to say, good job, well done, good and faithful servant? That's the difference. That's the difference between the one who's in the love and who's not. Okay. So as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, more maturity. So we will not be afraid on this day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence. Have we not been sp- speaking about this going before the throne with what? With confidence? With boldly? Before the throne of grace, have we not been speaking about this stuff lately for the last four months? Because we li- why? Why do we have confidence now on the great day of judgment? Because we live like Jesus here in this world. Come on. Is this, is this, is this an error? Is this, is this blasphemy? Is this heretical? John just told me, you live like Jesus on this world. He didn't call me Jesus, but he sure did say I live like Jesus. I live like Jesus in this world. How can I, you, we live like Jesus on the world? Because we have the love in us and the same love that he has, the same waters that are stirring inside of him are now stirring inside of me. The same spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead will also raise you up. The same spirit is the same waters that John is talking about when he says what? Come, anyone who is thirsty and drink, for out of him will flow the rivers of living water. The same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead will rise you up. So the same spirit that Jesus walked on earth is the same spirit that you walk on earth with. There is waters in Jesus and there is waters in you. What does that mean? You are like Jesus on earth. That's the fulfillment. That's the finalization of this love. What do you mean? Walk like Jesus. How? Embrace the encounter of his love and your life will be transformed. I'm telling you that right now. Don't think for once that you need to go to seminary to be transformed. That is so ridiculous. You don't need seminary to be transformed. You need the presence of God and the outpouring of his love and your life will be transformed. Come on. Get into it. Don't think you need anything else but look at the mirror. Where's my fault? i got to run to his love. And in that love, my love for him is going to come out and be more mature, more growth, more perfect. It's the finalization of this love. Such love has no fear. Come on, stop fearing judgment. Stop fearing the day you stand before him. Perfect love expels, casts out, expels all fear. If you're afraid, it's not for fear of punishment. And it shows, it is for the fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. If you fear the day you stand before God, it's because you're actually not fearing God himself. You're actually fearing what God is going to send you to. It's punishment. I don't want to stand before God and fear punishment. I want to stand before God and just fear being reverence in all of him. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Such love has no fear. Perfect love expels all fear. If they were afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And it shows that we have not fully experienced that perfect love. We haven't, we haven't really encountered his love. We love each other because he first loved us. We're not even capable of loving each other if we don't even understand this love. Well, lately, we've been talking about what does it sound like to do family together. Eh, scratch that out if you don't even know how to experience God's love for you. Your love for each other is never going to work. I'll never be able to love my brother if God's love is not first poured out upon me. Come on, there's a love within us because God is in us. So there's a love that gushes out from us, which is a sign to this world that God is gushing out upon them. You are the Jesus that is living before the world. Trust me, many of them will never open up this book. It's actually very boring to them. They don't understand it. And I know we don't understand how it can be boring to them. But guess what? They do have another book to read. And it's 9 o'clock when you walk into that office till 5 o'clock till you leave. I'm going to read every single word that comes out of that book. And I'm going to watch every single action that comes out of that book. Some of you guys are trying to win your family, but you can't because you're just like your family. You're doing the same things they're doing. Some of you are trying to win your friends, but you're just like, what, what you, I don't know how long it's going to take to win. As long as you continue to do what they're doing. So what do I got to do? Burn in his love. And it's going to be evident when you hang out with them. There's something different in you. What is it? I've been, I've been basking in his love. And he's been maturing a greater love in me. Man, it's coming out. I can't stop it from coming out. It's what? It's what? It's like rivers of living water. All right, let's. Actually, let me share this before I get into Romans. John 13, 35 says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This is awesome. If you have love for one another. The greatest way that someone will know if you're a follower of Christ is the way you live out love. The way you live out love shows whether you really belong to God. Are you guys understanding that? Man, this is deeper than what it even is. I'm telling you, this is serious, guys. So, ready? Let's continue. Remember I mentioned his sacrifice? All right. That sacrifice is also called a propitiation. Uh, he's the sacrifice. He's the substitute. So, what does this substitute, this sacrifice, this propitiation look like regarding 1 John chapter 4, verse 10? As we just read it, you're taking notes, you're doing a good job, you know exactly where I'm at. But in 1 John 4.10, what does that sacrifice, what does that um, substitute sacrifice look like? Ready? Let's jump to Paul's writing, Romans 5. And I'll tell you what, we'll read only verses 6, 7, 9, 10, 11. 6 through 11, here it is. Romans 5, you there? Are we learning anything today? All right. Romans 5, 6. This is so good the way it starts here. When we were utterly helpless, <laughs> praise God, he's talking about me. When we were utterly helpless, come on, utterly helpless people. When, when we were without strength, that's so good. Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Verse 7, now most people would not be even willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But forget what people do nowadays and won't do nowadays. Look at verse 8, but God is different than the way man works. My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, Right? So what are your thoughts and what are your ways? What, here it is. But God showed his great love for us. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. Why? How? By sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Romans 5, 8. He first loved while we were still sinners. You should write that down somewhere. He first loved while I was still a sinner. How many of you are grateful for his initial love when you were, when you were still a sinner? 
Verse 9, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Remember I, ta- I told you no more condemnation. The, the, the New King James says this way, much more than having now been justified by his blood. Love the word justified there. We shall be saved from wrath through him, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Verse 10, for since our friendship with God, intimacy there, guys. We could call him friend now. That's powerful. Was restored by the death of his son. So it was restored, meaning what? I was traveling down a broken road. And it was not going to go good. But it was restored by his son. While we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved now through the life of his son. Hallelujah. New King James says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And much more, having been reconciled, we now shall be saved by his life. Hallelujah. Last verse. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We rejoice in God. We rejoice through Jesus, through whom we have now received the reconciliation that we needed. Come on. Catch that. Listen, here it is for your notes. We were without strength. We were utterly helpless. But at the right time, God showed his great love for us at the right time. And the expression of his love was none other than his son Jesus while we were still sinners. His greatest expression over us happened while we were still sinners. Through his son. Amen to that. All right. Can I give you five encounters in the New Testament and relate them to our lives? Five encounters, and then when I'm done with this, the team could come up. When I'm done with the five encounters, um, we'll, we'll end. But five encounters in the New Testament with Jesus and how he first loved. All right, turn with me to John 8. This is, diff- this is a, more of a teaching Sunday. But John chapter 8, go to verse 1 with me. John 8, 1. I want to read it. I have a lot of stuff to read, so I need you to follow along. This is the time to wake up. Sit up on your chair, take a deep breath, take a sip of water so you can wake up. And let's read John 8, 1 through 11. I'm going to read it quick, real quick, so stay with me. If you're not as able to quickly read, just listen. Listen closely. All right? The first person I want to talk to you about, she's known as the adulterous woman. Sad, very sad that, that today we're looking at over 2,000 years ago. Man, this is the saddest thing that the church does. This is the saddest thing that the church does. That we're talking about over 2,000 years ago and we are still preaching her name as the adulterous woman. And then the last thing that she is in eternity is the adulterous woman. But we do really good, right, as always what, profiling someone from their, from, in their sin. She's really not, no longer the adulterous woman. She's actually the saved woman, the found woman. She's actually the evangelist woman. She's actually on fire. Like she's our sister. And trust me, in heaven there are many that are there because of her testimony and because of her life. In heaven we're not going to be like, oh, adulterous woman. I've been looking for you. I've preached you for so many years. She's not known like that in heaven. She's like righteous woman. She's righteous woman. Like we're going to walk in and say, you're going to want to say adulterous woman. And as you're ready to say, you're going to go, a righteous woman. And like, what? Because, because that's what we do really good at church. Really good. We, we do that really good, not at church. We do that really good as the church. We do that really good. Really good. <laughs> Heroin addict. You know? I'm like, whoa, you know, that was 10 years ago, man. You know? 
You don't have to always introduce me as, hey, this is the heroin addict I was talking about. <laughs> All right. Adulterous woman. Here we go. Not the adulterous woman anymore, though. Here we go. Verse 1. I'm going to read it quick because I got five of these. And one of them is like 40-something verses. Here we go. This one's only 11. So Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he um, was back again at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he began to teach them. And he was speaking the teachings of the religious law, teachers, sorry, of the religious law and the Pharisees. They brought, as he was teaching, these religious leaders brought a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. Okay, we've preached this so many times. You get it. In the very act. Okay. Not like they heard about it. In the very act. Okay. Um, so they put her in front of the crowd, so they interrupted his whole teaching. No, no. And they said, teacher, um, this woman was caught in the very act, right, in the, of adultery. And the law of Moses said, we should stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote into the dust with his finger in the ground. And they kept demanding an answer. And he stood up again. And he said, all right, but let, the one, let, the, let one of you who is without sin throw the first stone. Whoever of you has no sin, throw the first stone. Then... He got back down on the ground again, he rolled on the ground, and when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest on, till only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. And Jesus stood up again, and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she said, no, Lord. And he tells her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Amen? Amen. She's no longer the condemned woman when you get to heaven. Do not call her that. Because if you call her that, then that means that Jesus' finished work didn't happen in her life. And you're not just, you're not blaming her. You're actually putting the finger at God when you still call her an adulterous woman. All right, let's get into that. That was deeper than what you probably thought. But, but in John chapter 8, what did you get out of that? Don't give me the answer yet. Let's read all five, and then I'm going to give you what I feel the Lord put in my heart to share to you. Doesn't mean that it's the only thing, but it's just for today. One of the things that he showed me about his love first. He loved first. Ready? So what did you get out of that? I hope you read it. Let's go to the second one. We're going to go to John 5. So skip a couple pages. And go to John 5 with me. We're going to read now a man that was in Bethesda. We will look at this man just like we would look at the adulterous woman. And when we get to heaven, we're going to look at him and say, hey, lame man. And when we don't recognize that in heaven, he's no longer the lame man. How dare you do that to him? He's not that person. Let's get into this for a second. We're going to go to John chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Hear the words, read with me, and then in your mind or in your heart, you, you decide what you get out of it. And then we're going to talk about that. Here you go. Verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda. We're going to go to it in a few months when we go to Israel. Hallelujah. With five covered porches, and we'll probably go to this passage and re-preach it. So it says this. With five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, they all laid there on the porches. And one of the men lying there was a man who had been sick for, what, 38 years, almost my age. My goodness. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, here's the great question of Jesus. Would you like to get well? And he says, I can't, sir. The sick man said, for I have no one to put, for I have what? His getting well, oh, man, I almost want to stop for a moment and give you the answer. But his getting well was almost based on someone else. Do you want to get well? I have no one. Who told you you need someone? Okay. Jeez, man. Would you like to get well? For I have no one to put me into this pool when the water bubbles up. <laughs> I'm waiting to get into a pool that bubbles up when I don't know that he wants to give me a water that bubbles up inside of me. Yeah. I'm giving you the answer before I should. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm waiting to jump into living waters when his living waters are waiting to jump into me. And I'm waiting for someone to push me into living waters when he's trying to push me into his living waters. So when he says, hey, do you want to get well? It had nothing to do with you. You want me to drag you over there? When he said, hey, do you want me to get you well? It had everything to do with, you want me to go inside of you? Oh, my God. 
Lord, for those that heard, let them hear and let them understand that and let them grow in that. But, but really, do you want me to go inside of you? How many of you are still waiting for someone to drag you into the waters when all you really need is for God to go inside of you and give you waters? Stop waiting for that perfect church, for that perfect person, for that perfect man, for that perfect woman, for that perfect pastor, for that perfect leader, for that perfect friend. None of them are going to give you the waters that only God could give you. Let God get inside of you and stop asking someone else to get you into the water. All right, let's keep going. It says this. Man, this is so good, guys. I promise you, it really is, man. It's so special. It says this. He says, I can't, sir, right? No one is here to get me into the bubbling water. Someone else always gets there in front of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat. Instantly, the man was healed. <laughs> told you you didn't need to go into the waters. All you needed was the waters to get into you. He rolled up his sleeping mat, began walking, but the miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders, because they're so religious, they don't even see the miracle. They're so religious that they rather, they rather obey their religious system than they do God's miraculous work. And they say this, ready? The religious people objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry your sleeping mat. And he said, the man who healed me told me to pick it up and walk. And if he healed me, I'm going to pick it up and walk. Who said such a thing to you? They demanded. But the man did not know for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, because Jesus will not, Jesus will always finish the work that he started. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, now you are well. So stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Isn't that awesome that we could have a God in our lives that says, stop sinning unless something else happens to you? Not just this loving God that says, hey, continue to do what you're doing. And I'm still going to love you and grace you into heaven. No. That's not God's language. God's language is you better stop sinning. Something worse is going to happen to you. That's powerful. All right, what did you get out of that? I gave you a lot of answers already. But what did you get out of um, encounter number two? You with me? Guys, I only have three more. Number three, go with me. This is the long one, but I'll paraphrase a lot of it. John chapter four. Everyone go to John chapter four. Skip one page maybe. Um, go backwards one page. This is also called the Samaritan woman at the well. Same thing. You're not going to go up to her and say, enemy woman in heaven. Samaritan woman in heaven, how are you doing? You're not going to even look at her as the enemy Samaritan woman in heaven. If you study this lady, she is most likely known to be the woman that took the gospel back to Samaria and one of the great evangelists in Samaria that won over the whole town for Jesus Christ and all the men that were leaders of that town came to the feet of Jesus because of the testimony of her word. I'm telling you that this woman was not just an enemy of God, Samaritan woman at the well. When her life was transformed through the love of God, she went back to her town and she started with the men that she was sleeping with and she said, no more. I'm going to transform you with the same love that transformed me. I met this man today that told me everything I've ever done and every little secret about my life and it had to be the one and only Messiah you must come and know him they came to know him and they said not only are we just saved because of your word but because of what he had just spoken to us they all went back to Samaria and next thing you know the enemies of the Jews Samaritans were now being saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ John chapter 4 verse 1 are you guys in the word today you guys want to go home yet oof that was a daring question to ask right Man, I was scared. All right, John 4, 1, Jesus knew the Pharisees that heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Jesus himself didn't baptize, his disciples did, so they left Judah and returned to Galilee. He had gone to Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to a village of Samaria near the field of Jacob, and Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired. He was human from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well around noontime, and there was a woman, a Samaritan woman. She came to draw water, and Jesus says to her, please give me a drink. This has nothing to do with Jesus' thirst. This has everything to do with her thirst. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We're enemies. Why are you asking me for a drink? Don't you know that I could poison your drink and kill you right here? That's what she really meant. How dare you, how dare you trust me to give you a drink? I could poison you. 
You sure you want to ask me for a drink? Absolutely, because this has nothing to do with me drinking. This has everything to do with you going to the waters. You actually think that this encounter has anything to do with me getting waters? No, this whole encounter woman is about waters getting into you. I'll prove it to you. In a moment, we're going to read, she leaves her bucket full of water there and she runs back. Why? Because it has nothing to do with real waters that she's running to to quench her thirst. It has everything to do with heavenly waters that satisfy your thirst and they come inside of you. And she runs back and tells everyone, I got water. Where'd it go? No, no, no. There are different kind of waters. What is it? It's the Holy Spirit rushing inside of me. Oh, I feel like singing a song. So Jesus says, if you only knew the gift of God, for the one who, says, for the one who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. <laughs> you thought this whole thing was about you poisoning my water when this whole thing is about who really are you and I'm going to give you waters that are living. Guys, back to the beginning. I'm going to stir waters inside of you. And, but sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is so deep. Where would you get this water from? And be, <laughs> because I draw my source from, oh my God. And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than Jacob? And Jesus says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. You should go ask the man that we used to call the lame man in the pool of Bethesda. You ask him if he's running to the same waters anymore. You should go ask the adulterous woman that was making a life of adultery. You should ask her if she's still running to the same waters anymore. And you should ask me who I am and you'll see the waters that I give you and you'll never come and drink from those same waters that those other two weren't drinking from anymore. Are you guys with me or what? So anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes what? <laughs> Fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Do you see the rivers of, rivers of living water living, coming upon people? So good. So, so she, whatever. Jesus says, go get your husband, he tells her. And he says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, right, I told you I was going to get to the point here. He says, you're right, you don't have a husband. And the one that's shacking up at your house right now, you're not even married to him either. Okay? For you've had five husbands and you're not even married to the one that you're shacking up with right now. You certainly spoke the truth. Verse 19, the woman asks, you must be a prophet. Tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship and the Samaritans claim that this mountain is, so on and so forth. And Jesus says what? Believe me, woman, that the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in that mountain in Jerusalem, in Hialeah, and all over the world. doesn't matter. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through this Jews. Yep, it does come through the Jews, through the Jews name Jesus. Here it is. But the time is coming indeed, and here it is now when true worshipers will worship in the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. What does that mean? You'll have people worshiping him in closets, in cars, in warehouses. You'll have people worshiping him in arenas. It doesn't matter where you're at because there is just going to be an overflow of true worshiping happening all over the world. It's not a certain mountain anymore. So the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, right? Uh, and Jesus is like, well, I am the Messiah, woman, get it. So it goes on, the disciples come, how come he's talking to this woman? I can't believe this, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Meanwhile, they were urging Jesus, Rabbi, come on, eat something, we brought you food. And Jesus says what? I sent you to eat food, not so you could get me food. Watch what he says next, verse 32. I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. Leave that food alone, get your drive through food and get out of here, I already ate. What is he actually eating? He's receiving her soul. He says this. He says this. Did, did someone else bring you food? The disciples said when we were gone. And Jesus explains, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid for good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. I told you I wasn't lying. When Jesus said, I already ate. He says, you haven't seen that woman? 
I'm taking her in. You went and you're worried about <laughs> earthly food, but I'm eating spiritually. This woman is one more saved for the kingdom. So good. One plants another harvest, and it's true. And as I sent to you the harvest, and why didn't you plant? Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Come on, 39. So, the, so many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two more days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. Then they said to the woman, we now believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard him for ourselves. And now we know that he is indeed the savior of this world. Come on, what did you just get out of this passage? All right, the next two are really fast and we're done. Go all the way, skip, skip to the end. John chapter 21, actually one of my favorite ones. John 21, are you there? Jesus already resurrects, he's here, and um, he's showing up to his disciples before he goes to a, he, guys, resurrecting and ascending are two different things. He hasn't ascended yet, but he's resurrected from the dead. This is before his ascension, but this is after his resurrection. So there's a gap between the resurrection and the ascension, and he's appearing to the disciples. Are you all in chapter 21? Catch this, tell me what you get out of it. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, whatever, all the guys, right? The sons of Zebedee, all of them were there. Simon Peter said, I'm, gone, I'm going fishing. He shouldn't have even gone fishing, but whatever, that's a whole other preaching. He says, we'll come too. They should not have even gone with him either. And they went out on the boat, but they caught nothing at all. I told you they should not have gone. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So he called out, hey, fellows, have, fellows, that's a weird translation. Have you caught any fish? No, they replied, trust me, Jesus did not say fellows. Then he said, not my Jesus. All right. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. If they've been there all day, trust me, they went to the right, to the back, to the left, to the back, to the front. They've done everything, okay? So they did, oh, so they did and they couldn't even haul in their net because there were, there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple that Jesus, um, then the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, <laughs> John writing says me, the one he loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Awesome that he's the one that recognizes the Lord because sons, man, they get it. All right. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped up for work. He put his clothes back on. He was amongst men. He jumped into the water, and he headed over to shore. And the other stayed with the boat, and he pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. My man just swam for 100 yards to get to Jesus. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Why are you telling us to fish when you already had fish ready for us? Let's go to verse 10. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon, I, I'm thinking that bring some of that so you can see your fish compared to my fish. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net, and there was about 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn yet. Now come and have some breakfast that I've made for you. So Jesus said that none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus served the bread and the fish, and this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. Verse 15, I'm almost done. After breakfast, after breakfast, after they ate, because if you're going to ask a question that's going that's to really cause you to think, you need to make sure you're on a full stomach. Okay, here it is. And he said, Peter... Um, I got to talk to you about something. Um, he says this, do you love me more than these? And Peter says what? Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Everyone say one. So Jesus repeated the question again. Um, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said what? Lord, you know I love you. Everyone say what? Then take care of my sheep too. A third time he asked, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was so hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then go feed my sheep, the Lord said back to him. Are you guys with me? What did you get out of that? And last but not least, after I'm done reading this, the worship team could come up. We're going to go to Luke. We're going to go to Luke and go to verse chapter 19 with me. So good. What did you get out of Peter? All right, Luke 19. Are we all in verse 1? 
There's a man called Zacchaeus, and he's, and he's not wait. Again, same thing. Don't go to heaven and misjudge him. Here we go, verse 1. Very hated, very looked down upon. Zacchaeus was not someone that was loved. Had a lot of money by doing a lot of evil things. Here it is. Jesus entered Jericho and he came through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. Everyone said amen because it's tax season. <laughs> and he became very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree. I love fig trees. I love that my last name is Figueredo. I'll tell you all that stuff later. Beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Verse 5. Wait, wait, hold up. He went on a fig tree because what? Because Jesus was going to what? Jesus was going to go that way. <laughs> Had nothing to do with him getting to Jesus. Jesus was going to go to him. Ah. Oh. All right, let's keep going. When Jesus came by, he looked at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your house today. Zacchaeus quickly come down and took Jesus in his house with great excitement and joy, but the people were so displeased. How can he go eat with that sinner? I can't stand him. He was gone to be the guest to a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood, stood before the Lord. Look what he said. Talk to me if this is not a transformation. I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much as I've cheated them. Not only am I going to give back, but I'm going to give back even more because of this Mm, transformation. So Jesus said, salvation has come to your home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Thank you, Lord, for loving me first when I was a sinner. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are what? All right, we're ending. And the worship team didn't understand anything I said. The worship team could start coming back. <laughs> Hallelujah, have grace on them. They're in the word. That's what it is. They're, they're receiving the word. Five encounters in the New Testament. We're going to wrap it up. Five encounters that they had with Jesus. Number one, who was, her, who was she? The righteous woman. The adulterous woman, a.k.a. the righteous woman. Number two, the man at what? Bethesda, the lame man at Bethesda. Number three, the woman at the well. Number four, Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter. Number five, Zacchaeus, come down. Adulterous woman, man of Bethesda, woman at the well, Peter, do you love me? Zacchaeus, come down. Five encounters. I just picked five. I could have picked a bunch more, but I only picked five. Why? The first one, adulterous woman. Massive story. So much meat in it. But how about this one highlighted truth? Maybe what Jesus wanted to do in this encounter because he first loved was this. Ready? He wanted what? The hidden sin to be exposed to him in order to finally heal that which has been hidden for so long. Stop for a moment. There's no way that I could talk about this and not point the finger at us and say, are you one of those that needs your sin to be exposed so he could finally start healing? Come on, can anyone relate to the adulterous woman? I need my sin to be exposed so that he could start the healing. Number two, the man of Bethesda. I have no man, bless you, I have no man. No man to put me into this water. How about number two? It's the place where you feel that nothing and no one can help you and change your circumstance until you finally meet his love and you meet where your one true hope is actually found in. Where you take your eyes off others and you recognize, oh shoot, for so long I've been putting the blame on others or I've been feeling that nothing and no one can even help me when in reality I've been missing the only one that really can. Are you like the man at Bethesda? 
Number three, the woman at the well. So good. Remember the five husbands and the one that you're currently with, is, that you're shacking it up with, he's not your husband either? What does that show us about her? What does that show us about us? Maybe what the Lord is pouring out his love on is this. It's the habitual sin that continues over and over. Habitual sin that overcomes you. And you know it's wrong, but it feels like it's stronger than you. Until you find the Lord whose love covers what scripture says, the multitude of your sin and even of your habitual sin. And the Holy Spirit now begins to set patterns in your life to begin to live a correct and true life, righteous life before him. How many of you can relate to the woman at the well that says, I'm, I, I can relate to my habitual sin. I need his love to cover my sin. And I need the Holy Spirit to set up patterns of correctness to live righteous. How many of you can say that? Number four, Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Why three times? Because maybe this is the place where he doesn't just want to restore your love for him. But better and more important, the place where he wants to confirm his love for you. How many of you might find your, your, you are at a place where you just need God to say, I still love you. And today, I want to confirm that my love is still strong for you. It's not about, I don't want to transform you right now to love me. I want to just be upon you so you can receive my love for you. Just get in that for a little while. Can you relate to Peter, number four? And then number five, Zacchaeus. Maybe that's a reminder, number five, that you don't have to meet Jesus where he is. But instead, he wants to meet you where you are. To love you and to show you how much love he has for you. And it's so much that he's not going to just end with you. But his whole household is filled with that love and is transformed as well. His whole family. Come on. How many of you as we end can be Zacchaeus and say, I need God to come and meet me where I'm at. Come on. Hidden sin. The place of hopelessness where nothing and no one could help give you hope and help. Maybe that's you. The habitual sin that continues to overcome you. The place where he wants to restore and confirm his love for you. Or number five, the place in where he recognizes as long as you try to get to me, you continue. What does it say about Zacchaeus? He was too short and he couldn't get. As much as you continue to come to me, you fall short. So I'm going to stop you from getting to me. And I'm going to go to where you're at. Zacchaeus, come down. Who are you today out of those five? Stand with me and we're going to wrap it up. Everyone say he first loved. He first loved. In 1 Corinthians 13, as we wrap this up, if you, guys, you really need to listen to this last part and we're done. Paul writes that there are three things that last forever. Faith, hope, and love. Everyone say faith, faith. Hope, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, he says. And he sa- 1 Corinthians 13, he says this at the end of a chapter in which he started by saying, listen to this, if I, this is Paul, if I can speak with tongues of men and angels, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I understand all the mysteries, if I have all knowledge, if I have all the faith that I can remove all the mountains, if I give everything I have to the poor, if I sacrifice my body to be burned, 
Paul. Look what he says next. But if I have no love, then I am nothing. I am just a clanging cymbal. I'm a loud sound. And I would have gained nothing at all in my life. If I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, but there is no love, then I'm nothing and I've done nothing. Are you getting that? There's nothing that you can do. It's his love. He exp- Paul experienced what John was talking about in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 specifically. Love comes from God, and if you do not love, you do not know God because God is love. How many of you remember that? Feels like it was a long time ago. Three things last forever. Faith. Hope and love, but the greatest of these is what? It's love. So what? There is a greater love for God and for, yes, people. But something, something in you needs to begin to experience this. There is a a greater love for God and people that can flow from you. But find that sweet place, find that sweet spot. The place where you begin to understand and begin to experience this initial and greater and deeper love for us. This is not something that you can just learn about. But it's something that you begin to experience. Listen to this. And you never want to leave this experience which will become daily encounters of a deeper hold on him because of a passionate encounter of his love towards you. And then return, what do you bring to the table? It's a lifestyle of greater love for him. So that when someone says you seem different, you look different, you sound different, your response within says what? I live with greater love for him because my life has embraced the encounters of his love for me. I have faith. I have hope. But the greatest of these is what? I have found love. So here it is as I end. Come on. Let your finding, I wrote this down, let your finding love be the beginning of experiencing love. Let your experiencing love become the daily encounters with love. Let your daily encounters with love cause you to embrace this love. Let the embrace of this love be the beginning of the burning of your heart. Let the burning of your heart burst out, gush out of you and live out in this world with a greater love towards him. I can now live in a deeper love. Because he first deeply loved me. The depth of love does not just end at salvation. The encounters of his love over me continues after salvation. But here it is. Will I set myself after experiencing it? To live seeking after it, allowing it to burn me all the days of my life. And that's the question. He first loved, so will I continue to seek that love over my life? So that that way I can live in love for him. How many of you could say amen? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes as we pray. And as we close up in prayer, I I wanted you just to look at that mirror that we spoke about earlier. And I want you really to answer that call right there where you're at. As you look at yourself deep into the mirror and say, who's to blame? Who's at fault? Where has my love gone? Where's my love at? And maybe... You've come to recognize that it's not anything else but that you, that we have not continued to go back to that love that is being poured out on us. And like the man of Bethesda, like the adulterous woman, like Zacchaeus, like Peter, I could relate to some of those. And I need your love, Lord God, to to cover those things in my life. Overcome me and overwhelm me so that 
my love can now be more mature and more perfect in you. So as we close up, I pray this over your life. That your greater love for him, that it would be found, that it would be discovered and experiencing and experiencing and encountering his initial and deeper love for you. So as we close, how many of you need to just come to the place of encountering his love again? So that in that way you could begin to live in greater love. How many of you could say, Pastor Rico, today that's me. Where you just said, I need to encounter his love. So that in return I can live back in this love. Every eye closed. If you need to take that step, I want you to be freed from that. And I want you to encounter that love today. And I want you to trust God in this love. I want you to say that today. Lord, I want greater love. But I got to live in that encounter of your love towards me. Because you first loved. And if I live in the burning of that, in return, I will, I will live in love for you. If that's you today, I would, the altar's open. You could come to the front and say, that's me. I want his greater love, his initial love. I want to embrace it. I want to encounter it daily. And in that place, I want to live out in greater love for him. Come on, let him meet you where you're at. Come on, let him cover your habitual sin. Come on, let him, let him expose the hidden sin and heal. Come on, let him confirm his love over you. Lord, I need to, I need to find this love of yours so that I can finally live in love with you. We're going to just let the Holy Spirit just minister to our hearts now. And if you need to come up and you want to say, I, I want you to pray for me, I, this is who the one I can relate to. I want to pray specifically. Lord, I pray for that habitual sin. Lord, I, I pray for that shortcoming. Whatever it is specifically, we want to pray in faith for your life today. So come on, let's go ahead and, um, and just begin to open up to him. We'll take about a few more minutes and, and we'll let the Holy Spirit now move upon your heart and get things in order. If that's you, the altar's open. You can come up to the front and receive from the Lord. Hallelujah.